Chapter 18 of the Boy Scouts on Lost Trail by Thornton W. Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 18 The Sunshine Maker. After Pat's departure, the lone wolves busied themselves policing camp and skinning and cutting up the deer that Walter had brought in the night before, for his hunt had been successful. It was not so big as Spud's, being a spike horn, but it was in prime condition. Butchering was new to all of them, save as they had helped Pat with Spud's deer, but they made a very credible job of it, all things considered. With this out of the way, they turned their attention to cutting more balsam for the extra beds that would be required when the relief party arrived. "'Where are we going to put them? growled Spud, as with his arms full of brows he stood in the cabin doorway. "'Strikes me we're about full now.' Gordon turned his head and looked sharply at Spud, and an uneasy look crept into his eyes. "'I hadn't thought of that,' exclaimed Upton. "'We shall be crowded and then some with just the big chief.' and if there are two or three we'll have to sleep packed in like sardines what's the matter with building a lean-to for some of us to sleep in the very thing wonder we didn't think of it before cried hal when we get that done we can do some more exploring if spot is willing i'm going to take his rifle this afternoon and see if i can't find some grouse i have a hunch one would taste pretty good to gordon about now how about it he turned to the injured man with a smile and the latter did his best to smile back as he replied, "'It would that.' Had Hal been a little more observing, he would have noticed that the smile was very much forced. The lean-to was completed before noon, and after mess the boys scattered. Spud insisted that he was going to remain as nurse and camp guard. Hal started off in quest of grouse, and Walter and Plimpton headed for the north side of the hollow, bent on making a more thorough examination than had hitherto been made. Spud watched them out of sight and then sought the cabin to see if he could do anything for his patient. Also, he had in mind the closing of a deal for that lynx skin. He still considered that it belonged to the crippled trapper. The fact that the latter would never have gotten it but for Spud didn't alter the situation in the boy's mind. As he entered the cabin whistling a cheerful tune, Gordon turned his head and Spud saw at once by the return of the harassed, haunted look in the eyes that something had occurred to distress him. In a flash he recalled the remarks made when the lean-to was discussed that morning. The trapper knew now that someone else was expected, and a great fear was upon him. "'Say, boy, are we alone?' he asked huskily. "'Yep,' replied Spud cheerily. "'Nobody here but you and me. I'm chief nurse, head cook, sunshine maker, captain of the guard, and chore boy for the afternoon. Anything I can do for you? I'll tell you a story, sing a song, dance a jig, or do anything else you want.' He grinned down at the invalid. "'Where's that big Irish fellow that helped set my leg?' questioned the latter. Spud winced at the question, but was too honest to evade it. Besides, Gordon already knew enough to have his suspicions fully aroused. "'Gone out for help,' he replied promptly. "'Who's he gone for?' There was no hiding the anxiety in the voice. "'For Dr. Miriam of Woodcraft Camp. Know him?' Gordon shook his head. "'I don't need a doctor.' "'You fellows have fixed me up all right. "'Is he the only one you sent for?' he growled. "'Sure. Who else will we be sending for?' Spud replied lightly and noted the look of relief that shot across the man's face. "'We hope we've set the leg right, but it ought to be seen by a physician. "'If there's anything wrong with it, you might be a cripple for life. "'So we've sent for Dr. Miriam, who is the head of the boys' camp where we've been spending the summer, "'and is one of the finest men in the world.' He'll know in a jiffy if everything is all right, 
and if it isn't, he'll make it right. You'll like the big chief. That's what we call him. You can't help it. Who found me? was the next question. I did. That reminds me. What will you take for that lynx? replied Spud, anxious to change the subject. Gordon looked puzzled. What lynx? he asked. Spud laughed. I forgot you didn't know anything about that, he replied. Then he launched into the story of his adventure and how it had led up to the finding of the crippled trapper. The story lost nothing in the retelling, and Gordon smiled in spite of himself, as Spud graphically described his feelings when the lynx leapt at him and afterward when he was trying to get his rifle. Now what will you take for him? concluded Spud. Nothing, replied Gordon promptly. He's yours. Do you suppose I'd take money for him after what you've done for me? I may be pretty rough and tough, and I've done some pretty mean things in my life, but no one can ever say that Alex Smith is small enough to do such a thing as that. Spud made no sign that he had noticed the slip in regard to the name, and the young trapper hurried on in some confusion as if he realized that he had made a blunder. The old brute had been robbing my snares for a week, and so I set a trap right under that one and left a rabbit hanging in it. That was two days before you found him. It was that very afternoon that I got hurt, slipped off a ledge coming down the mountain just back of my camp. Lucky for me it was only a few hundred yards away. Took me most of the afternoon to crawl there, and I guess I fainted several times on the way from the pain of dragging that broken leg. Don't remember much about it except the awful pain. Say, boy, was I foolish when you found me? The note of anxiety once more crept into his voice. Oh, you were a bit dippy, kind of off in your head. Kept muttering a lot of lingo, scotch, I guess, and I'm not much on dialect, replied Spud lightly. Besides, I had too much to think about to listen to what a loony man was saying. What do you think of the lone wolves, anyway? I didn't ken what you mean. I have seen no wolves in Smuggler's Hollow, was the puzzled reply with the first lapse into the scotch dialect since he had begun to talk. Spud laughed an infectious laugh that brought a half-smile from the invalid. "'I'm one of them,' he explained. "'You see, we fellows are a patrol of Boy Scouts, and every patrol has a name. Ours is a lone wolf patrol. And that fellow we call Walter, the one who bossed the setting of your leg, you know, is the leader. And what are Boy Scouts? I didn't remember hearing tell of them. You see, I lived all of my life in the woods, mostly in ca uh, lumber camps, I mean.' and there's no Boy Scouts there. Tell me about them. Spud did not show that he had noticed the second slip. It was clear that the man had started to say that he had spent most of his life in Canada, but had caught himself just in time. Instead, the boy plunged into a full account of the Boy Scout organization and explained its purpose. He repeated the Scout oath, and then the Scout law. He told how a Scout regards his honor as the most precious thing he possesses, and how it is to be absolutely trusted at all times and in all places, and how a scout's given word is as binding as an oath. He explained how the scout must try to do something for someone else every day, and that in caring for him the lone wolves were simply doing their duty as scouts, quite aside from obeying the natural impulses of their hearts. When Spud once warmed up to his subject he was a good talker, and on the subject of scouting he could, as he said, talk all day. He told what it had done for Pat Malone, a rough young backwoods tough, and what it had done for Hal Harrison, the pampered and spoiled son of a multimillionaire. He explained how it recognizes no social class or caste, but is founded on democracy, the absolute equality of every man and boy, 
and he wound up by telling some of the great feats that had been accomplished by Boy Scouts. There, he concluded, it's a wonder if I haven't talked you deaf, dumb, and blind. I'm going out now to make you a cup of soup. The invalid drank it in silence, and Spud, thinking that he must be tired and might sleep if left alone, busied himself outside the cabin. Occasionally he peeped in to see that all was well. Gordon, or Smith, as Spud now knew his real name was, lay as he had left him, his eyes closed and apparently asleep. In reality, he was doing some of the hardest thinking he had ever done in his life. As the afternoon waned, and the time for the others to return drew near, he became uneasy, and as Spud looked in to see how he was, he spoke. "'Come here, boy. I want to talk to you.' "'Far away,' grinned Spud. "'I'm a good listener when I can stop my tongue long enough.' But the other did not respond to Spud's light mood. He cleared his throat as if to speak, hesitated, and then suddenly blurted out, "'You fellows have treated me mighty white, and though you don't know it, I'm just a low-down mean skunk. I, I'm—' "'I'm the one that stole some of your grub back at the pond.' "'Sure,' replied Spud. "'That's no news to me.' "'What?' exclaimed the other. "'How long have you known it?' "'I've known it all along, ever since I found you in your camp,' said Spud quietly. His companion's face was a study. "'Do—do do you mind telling me how you knew? "'You didn't see me, for I made sure that you were asleep that day. "'Did I give myself away in any loony talk?' "'Nope.' Spud's speech was to the point, if not elegant. Found your footprints where you came around Little Goose Pond, and one of them showed that you were wearing a patched moccasin. When I found you in your camp, I stumbled over one of your moccasins and saw it was patched. Then I knew. You know I told you scouts are trained to observe little things. Do, do the other fellows know? The question was almost a whisper. Don't know, replied Spud. They may suspect, but... They haven't said anything about it. I kicked the old moccasin out of sight, and I guess in the excitement they have forgotten all about that lost stuff. Besides, you were traced away back on the trail out, and it was taken for granted that you had dug out. That reminds me. How in the deuce did you get back here, and what were you doing way off there, anyway? I circled around after leaving your camp. It was no trick for me, because I know these woods pretty well. But what were you doing off there, and what made you steal? persisted Spud. If you wanted grub, why didn't you just come in and ask for it? I didn't think you would give it to the likes of me, replied Smith evasively. I didn't intend to steal, but, but when I saw that bacon handy-like, it was too much for me, for I hadn't had a bite of anything but fresh meat, and I could not resist. And to think that you should treat me like this, knowing that I was a thief— Spud looked at his companion, and then on a sudden impulse resolved on a bold stroke. "'A deputy sheriff was in here looking for someone the other day,' he remarked in a casual way. The other gave a visible start, and the fright in his eyes was pitiful to see. "'What, what was he doing, looking for poachers?' he asked, trying desperately to make his inquiry sound as casual as Spud's remark. "'No,' replied Spud, gazing fixedly out of the doorway. He was looking for a fellow wanted for murder in Canada. He heard the other catch his breath and gulp once or twice, but did not look at him. Seemed to think that he might be hiding here in the hollow, he hurried on, left here to have a look in the lumber camps to the west. Do you know I'm sorry for that poor chap? Of course, if he's guilty, he ought to be caught and punished. But if he isn't guilty and is just afraid, why, I'd like to help him somehow.' 
painful silence followed, broken at last by the stifled voice of the man on the bunk. "'Boy,' he gasped, "'what more do you know?' Spud turned to him and spoke frankly and with wonderful gentleness. "'Smith, you've already admitted that that's your name and not Gordon.' "'I don't know anything,' said he, "'but I can guess a whole lot. "'You are the man that's wanted.' The description left by the sheriff fits you exactly, including the missing finger. You were hiding out here without supplies, and that is why you stole from us, and why you were snaring rabbits. When I found your camp and called to you, you were in a terrible fright, although out of your head, and kept saying over and over, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. He was interrupted by a half-sob. As God lives, it's true. I didn't do it. I didn't. Don't give me up, boy. Don't give me up. Spud turned away his head that he might not see the other in his moment of weakness and blew his nose violently. "'Look here, Smith,' said he. "'I don't believe you did. None of the other fellows believes you did. And that's why we didn't send out for the sheriff at the time we sent for the doctor. We couldn't decide on our own minds just what is the right thing to do. You're helpless and will be for some weeks. The sheriff is likely to look in here again any day. If you're innocent, there's nothing to be afraid of.' We want to help you. We've tried to show you that. We are scouts, all of us, and we've tried to show you that scouts are to be trusted, and that they are in honor bound to try to help those who need help. If you are innocent, as you say you are, and as we honestly believe you are, why not tell us the whole story? You're in trouble, the worst kind of trouble, and we want to help you. You believe that, don't you? Smith nodded. And tell me the whole business continued Spud. Perhaps when we know it all we can see what is best to do to help you out. No innocent man ever yet suffered from the truth. All the fellows feel just as I do about it. For a little while the man in the bunk made no reply. Then abruptly he began to talk. Once his tongue was loosed, he seemed to find relief in pouring out his story. He talked rapidly, and as Spud listened, he realized fully for the first time what the blessing of a good home is. It was such a tale as Spud had read in books of fiction, but had found it difficult to believe as true to real life. It was hard to believe now that what he heard was true, but he had only to glance at the crippled form before him and note the earnestness in the low voice of the speaker to know that he was listening to a chapter in the struggle of a human soul against overwhelming odds, and his heart swelled with sympathy. The story had just come to an end when the howl of a wolf, or what was meant for such, floated in from a little way down the hollow. Spud reached across and gripped the hand of the trapper. "'I'm glad you told me this,' he said hurriedly. "'It's going to make things easier for us, and I guess it's a good thing for you to have it off your mind. The other fellows are coming now, and I'm going to tell them this evening if you are willing.' Smith nodded. "'Do just as you think best,' said he. "'All right,' replied Spud. "'It is best that they should know.' You can trust them just as you can trust me, for we're all scouts, you know. And some of them are better scouts than I am. Now I'm going out to see about supper. I'm clean forgotten I'm supposed to be the cook. Al had fallen in with the others shortly before reaching camp, and the three were just coming up the trail as Spud came out of the cabin. Al had a brace of grouse, which he waved as Spud appeared. Here's something for the invalid, he shouted. Then, noting the somber look on Spud's usually merry face, he added, "'How is he?' "'Doing fine,' replied Spud. "'Thought he must be worse by the looks of you,' retorted Hal. "'Nope,' replied Spud. 
He's better. He's got a load off his mind. Tell you about it after supper. He'll be better still when he gets some of those birds in his stomach. Come on, sister, and get busy. You're assistant cook. End of chapter 18